All right. Well, good morning, folks. So good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would love to have you take your Bibles. If you have one there handy with you, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Joel. I know. I'll give you a minute. Uh, You might not have been there recently, but here you go. Part of the Minor Prophets, of course, as we are taking eight weeks here, uh, summertime, to look at some themes. We're not going textually book by book. We're going thematically uh, at a number of things. And uh, so Book of Joel and uh, the study sheet in your bulletin I know will be a help to you today as always. A number of years ago, my family and I were in New York City. New York City, what am I meaning? Washington, D.C. is what I meant. They're, 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 they're on the East Coast, all right? Similar, close. We in Washington, D.C., and uh, along with the other things we went to see, we visited the, the Holocaust Museum. Some of you have, have been there, and it is what you would expect it to be. It is a sobering place with stories on the wall and displays with um, artifacts, piles of shoes, glasses, human hair, boxcar, evidently... Uh, scratched and clawed, uh, the stories that are told. Uh, Since then, uh, I've had opportunity to be at Flossenburg concentration camp in Germany, which was the place where Dietrich Bonhoeffer spent his last days and stand in the courtyard where his life was taken from him. Uh, A year ago, Kathy and I were serving at the European Leadership Forum in Poland and had opportunity to go to Auschwitz just down the road. Birkenau, those, those places. Wow. Uh, there's something about visits to places like that, that um, especially on sunny, beautiful days. Sky's blue. You think, how could, how could a place this beautiful uh, have such horror? And as you hear the stories and know you find your heart inevitably crying out for justice, a longing for judgment. Somebody, somebody uh, should pay for this. How can this be? And as you know, if you have been worshiping with us and walking this journey through the Minor Prophets, today is week three of uh, looking at sin and judgment. So as I mentioned to you at the beginning of this a couple weeks ago, for these three weeks in particular, there are no, there are no jokes to be told. Um, you may not walking away saying, man, I just feel so happy. Well, the texts resolve as we lead to Jesus. But in terms of judgment and sin and the seriousness of sin, the devastating nature of sin, its destructiveness in our lives, in, in a nation, it's really not funny. And there are no cute stories to be told. Now, today, in this uh, approach to what I'm going to do, it's going to be different, I suppose. I say this often. This is a different approach to to a sermon than what I often do. Often we come to a text and kind of stay there and move around a little bit. Today, not so much. There are several places I'm going to move to. And if you're a person who doesn't mind that, come with me. Because we're going to look at a bunch of the Bible and uh, read maybe more than you think I should text on judgment. And you you might find your heart saying, I got it, and I'm not done yet. Uh, And I want you to feel it. I'm doing it on purpose. Because in in order to to feel the gravity of something, sometimes a single sentence or verse is not enough for your heart to be shaken awake. Uh, 
and to, to sense truth about God who sees all and judges. So uh, we, we have a bit ahead of us. I'll invite you along for that journey. I want to pray for us and ask for God's help uh, in this. So if you join me in that, let's come to God's word. Our Father, as always, we, we find great joy in coming to the word of God. Uh, there are newspapers and magazines and all manner of other things that are printed, and yet nothing holds a candle uh, to the word of God. Your word is true and right, reveals you for who you are and what you're like, tells us your plan of, of redemption all the way through from beginning to end. And so, Father, I, I pray for all of us together as we come that you would help us to hear the word of God, and in hearing it, that we would see you and our hearts would be softened that we indeed would have ears to hear, hearts to respond in faith. So help us now, our Father. We, we can't do this for spiritual benefit apart from your word, apart from your work, the Spirit of God among us. Help us here. Help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On your study notes, of course, a few words of review, and if you have not been with us regularly, I would strongly encourage you to read those elements. It gives you a little bit of historical background, really important to, to what we're looking at today. Uh, the third little bullet point down, uh, two weeks ago, we noted as we begin this discussion of sin, uh, God's patience. We talked about God's patience, God's patience with the nations, God's patience with lost people, God's patience with me. And we rejoice in that. A God who is patient, patient, patient. We saw last week with Matt Ritchie uh, the limits of God's patience. And we, we sat up and paid attention. And Matt made this striking statement that caught a number of you. The announcement of judgment, God's judgment, is good news. It's good news. It's, it's not quite what you'd think. You think, man, that's awful. Well, no. Uh, the announcement of God's judgment is good news because it reassures us that God is just and God is good. Interestingly, we've said this as well, uh, we, we like the idea of judgment and justice on all those rascals out there, all those people who abuse you and use you and step on your toes and hurt you. Don't you want God to kind of smack them? Now, of course, when it comes to us, we prefer mercy, don't we? We certainly don't want God to smack us. Uh, we're a little bit uh, two-faced, I think, in our assessment of judgment and how it should be meted out. Well, good news is the fill-in there. Now, today then, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then a skip over to Zephaniah. I want to tell you what I am going to do so that you will not think I missed something. I'm focusing today on the texts in these books on judgment. I am well aware... That as we read, you might say, oh, but keep reading. There's some good news to come. And there is. Uh, that's the subject of another day. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going to be pre preaching about hope and restoration. Okay? We're going to get there. But not today. Today, I want both barrels of the shotgun on sin and judgment. So it's where we're going to be. And uh, I think you'll understand so, uh, I've given you a list of where I'm going, exactly the text. I'm going to read all of those under the category of hear the word of God, okay? So, that's where I'm going, Joel chapter 1. I'm going to make a few comments along the way, but here we go then. Your Bibles are open, Joel 1. Let's hear 
God's voice as he speaks about judgment. We read this. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. In other words, no more partying for you, dear friends. A nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth. It has fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine, splintered my fig tree, stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. And verse 15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. You see this phrase, the day of the Lord is near. So a plague of locusts, indeed, um, I will say as a complete aside, if you read the news this week, you saw that there's a grasshopper invasion of Las Vegas. No, I didn't say Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I said Las Vegas. I just thought that was rather interesting. Uh, for those of you who think, aha, they're coming. Well, it, it says this. Let's see. First of all, um, MGM Resorts declined to comment. Yeah, I'll bet you do. Uh, but it notes the last paragraph. This is in the, in the Coma News Tribune. Although some locusts are part of the grasshopper family, uh, the person spoken of here has reassuring news for the apocalyptic minded. <laughs> okay, who may be inclined to see parallels with the plagues in the book of Exodus. Grasshoppers are not locusts. Like, yeah, okay, well, uh, we'll see about that. Well, locusts, we mentioned a couple weeks ago when we read this text then, uh, locusts in a farming uh, setting, uh, it's a devastating thing. If your whole livelihood is in your crops in the field and a bunch of bugs come and eat them all, so much for your trip to the bank. So locusts, but that's not the only problem. Of course, we're, we see described in verse 6, uh, no, a nation is coming. A nation is coming for yours. And you remember, I uh, mentioned it up above, the minor prophets address a big section of Israel's history. Israel is split as a nation and in 722, the Assyrians are going to come in, take over the people in the north. We'll see that. And the Babylonians are going to come in 586 and wipe out the people in the south. So right now, God's judgment is not about making you miserable and sending you to a revival meeting. God's judgment is in the form of an army, and they're going to come and whip you, okay, and plow your nation, and it's going to go horribly. And all the bad things that you think of can happen when armies come, bad armies come plowing through your nation. It's going to happen here. That's why Jeremiah laments in the book of Lamentations. He sits and weeps. What else do you do when all the wheels come off? Well, that's the idea here. And Joel is, is serious. The day of the Lord for them, in this case, it looks like nations come in and wiping you out. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain, Jerusalem, of course. Let all the inhabitants of the earth, what should you do? Tremble, tremble. See, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's near. What does this day look like? Well, darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness, blackness that spread over the mountains, this great and powerful people, their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. And then it's described, this, this coming battle. The fire devours before them, verse 3. Their appearance like the appearance of horses and war horses. They run, rumbling of chariots. 
Verse 10, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, the the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word, you see this, he who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And on we go. This is a big announcement from God through the prophet Joel. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. I'm turning to the next one, book of Amos. The first three of these books are right in order. Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Now, Joel was focused on the south. Amos uh, is focused on the north. If you remember our geographical divisions at this time, Amos is focused on the north, as you see in the first verse. But I want you to notice the pattern that's here, okay? God's judgment, not only on Israel and Judah, God's judgment of the nations. There's a pattern that begins in verse 3. Maybe you've noticed this if you've happened to read, Japanese who have read these books. But in verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because, and this reads like an indictment. It's like a judge saying, I'm coming for you, fill in the blank here, your name here. Here's why. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because, and here's what you did. And verse 9, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because, and it's reading right down through the list of the nations, the first two chapters, that pattern again and again. For three transgressions and for four, I'm not going to back down, and here's why, and you know, you know that it's true. Devastating, devastating. Chapter 5, book of Amos. Starting verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Oh, you think, you think you want this, eh? You desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. How about that? Went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Now listen to this. I hate, God says, I despise your feasts. Now this isn't Thanksgiving. These are religious-oriented feasts, ostensibly obeying the Old Testament. Oh, we're going to have some feasts for God. And God says, I hate what you're doing. I hate it. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings. You're just obeying the Old Testament, right? Just obeying God. He says, no, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me. Look what he calls it, the noise of your singing. Just just stop. Tell the band to stop. The melody of your harps, I will not listen. Let, uh, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That should be familiar if you know our nation's history as well, Martin Luther King Jr. What, why is God saying what he's saying. Why is he telling them to quit their religious exercise? Here's why. Because you're playing at it. You're, you're doing all these things, and your hearts are far from me. It's, it's like God's, it's similar to Isaiah chapter 1. Very, it reads very similar, where God says, you know what, would you just, just close the doors of the church, please? Because when you come, it's like you're playing and your hearts are far away from God, and you come and you sing, and you do all your just religious stuff, and you're making me sick. Could you just just turn the lights off? I mean, this is a big deal. 
Yeah, on the one hand, they could say, hey, we're just doing what you told us to do. He's going, no, that is not what I told you to do. I didn't come and say, play charades. What is this, a joke? Kind of an office party? No, just stop it. Just, just stop all the, I mean, if, you're, if your life is so far from God that, you know, God says, I, mean, I see it all. If your life is just full of corruption, what are you coming to church on Sunday for and playing like it's all good? Wow. Amen. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Starting verse 9. On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. Darken the earth in broad daylight. I'll turn your feasts. You remember those little parties? I will turn those feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I'll bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. Those are signs of mourning, by the way, culturally appropriate. I will, not make, I will make it like the mourning for an only son. How about that? The way a parent would grieve the loss of an only child. It's going to be like that for you. The end of it will be like a bitter day. Now watch this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You say, well, this sounds great. People want to hear God's word. No, no, you're missing it. This is judgment day. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to, uh, to east, and show, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. In other words, nobody's preaching, nobody's seeking truth, and the few people who think they want to hear it can't find truth, God's truth, even if they go looking for it. It's nowhere in the land. Judgment. Judgment. A false worship and outward show. How we doing, guys? Feeling cheerful? Encouraged? Obadiah. 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 Now, uh, Joel spoke to the south. Amos spoke to the north. Obadiah speaks to Edom. That is the descendants of Esau. So another nation outside the nation of Israel, but right next door. Um, short book, of course. One chapter. Division of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. A messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I'll make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The idea is this. Uh, some of you have heard of Petra, uh, like a hilltop fortress city that's just up in the hills and the rocks, hard to get to. Uh, thought they were protected and safe. Thought they were all that. Proud. Not even God can touch us, as was said of a famous boat. Not even God can sink this ship. Well, not even God can get to us. They said, pride. It's been appropriately pointed out that when you think of, of sins in the Bible that are described as bringing judgment, pride is way at the top. In fact, by numbers of listings and things like that, Pride shows up more than a lot of sins that you get really upset about. Pride. Not even God can touch me. I'm doing fine, thank you. You say in your heart, who can bring me down to the ground? I'm fine. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Uh, Petra, of course, that city up there in the hill, protected by, uh, by the rocks around them, a narrow passageway going up to the city. Uh, they would sit there and think, the nations can't get to us. All you need is a couple of guys you know, uh, sitting on top here, dropping big rocks on the invading armies. Uh, you and I should be able to handle it. 
You get enough big boulders, just wait a few minutes. Watch this. Not even, not even God can touch us. And God says, oh, really? Verse 15. The day of the Lord is near upon the nations. The day of the Lord. There it is. You see that phrase again and again. The day of the Lord. It's near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. It shall be holy. The house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. The house of Esau, what is it? Stubble. How about that? They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Amen. Judgment. Judgment. Pride. Pride is the key word there. Now, you need to skip a couple of books because we're just looking at these in terms of judgment. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, those were in order. Zephaniah is a couple pages over, so I'll let you... Turn the pages. We're on our way there. Zephaniah. Again, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Judgment. Judgment is what's involved in this day of the Lord scenario. Judgment then. And yes, as we'll see in a few minutes, judgment yet to come. Zephaniah, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. And then you read his credentials. Verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I'll sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests among, uh, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roof to the host of heaven. In other words, you worship the stars. Seriously, people, you bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swell by, swear by Milcom. In other words, again, you go to church on Sunday or Sabbath, as the case may be, and pretend like you're all that close with God, the God who's real, and the rest of the week, you, you worship the gods of the nations around you? Who said that was such a brilliant idea? That's the idea. Baal, Milcom. They've turned back. Those who've turned back from following the Lord do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And God says, be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is near. Wow. Are you, are you paying attention yet? Man. Verses 14, 16. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord. What's it sound like? Well, bitter. A mighty man cries aloud there. The day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish. Look at the list. Ruin, devastation, darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast, battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. Wow. Chapter 3. Verse 1. Woe to her who's rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. Uh, Look how she's described. Jerusalem. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. You see this? Are you like that, by the way? This is describing a city. I don't listen to anybody. I don't listen to any correction. And I don't trust God. And I don't draw near to him. I don't listen to anybody. That's describing a city here. She accepts no correct, no humility. No, proud, proud. Now, 
look at your study sheet and stay with me as we shift here, okay? The prophets are describing judgment that was to come, this day of the Lord judgment, and in this particular case, in this particular time, it came in the form largely of invading armies. And I want you to see what that looks like. Now, here's what I want to do. We're going we're gonna to go to the books of history. If you know your English Bible, you know that the way the Bible is laid out, the Old Testament in particular, it's not specifically chronological, okay, as in order. So the, the events described here, the prophets speaking about these armies coming, are described in the books of history. So if you're reading the Old Testament through, you'll, you'll catch the same event from a historian viewpoint and then from the prophet speaking. He's coming for you, so you're going to get the same thing. I want to go back to the books of, of history for a minute. I just want you to see he did it. That's what I want you to see. God was not blowing smoke. He, he said they're coming for you, and here they came. So I want you to see. So 2 Kings, I'm going here. 2 Kings 17, there's two chapters. Just, just to touch on a few things, I want to say he did it. Do you see it? So 2 Kings 17, for all those who doubt, all those who wonder if God really will judge the nations, here you go. So uh, 2 Kings 17, verse, verse 6, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. This is the north, remember 722, carried the Israelites away to Assyria, placed them in these various cities. This occurred, verse 7. Because, why? Why did he do this? Because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had feared other gods, walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. You say, well, why didn't he just warn them? Surely they would have repented. And the text says, he did. Over and over and over again, he sent them messengers to say, uh, stop. And they didn't listen and didn't listen and didn't listen. Um, I'm looking down at verse 13. The Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes. But verse 14, they would not listen. Know anybody like that? They were stubborn, it says right there. They were stubborn as their fathers had been didn't believe the Lord, despised his rules. Wow. And away they went. Verse 24 tells you a little bit of history. This is important for New Testament understanding. King of Assyria brought people from some of these other places, put them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. What he did in conquering Israel in the north, this makes sense in the New Testament. It makes sense to John 4. The Samaritans, remember we've said they're a mixed race people. Here's, the, here's why. This is the part of the Bible that tells you that as the king of Assyria came in and took over the people of the north, he had this fancy way of taking some of these people, putting them over here, and taking some from this nation and sticking them over here for a whole variety of reasons, one of which is you're not going to fight as much for land that isn't yours. So we're just going to mix it all up. So the people in the north, over time, were a mixed-race people. That's why the people in the south who weren't mixed-race didn't like the people up north in Samaria. That's why. Well, a little bit of an aside, but it makes sense of the New Testament as it unfolds. Now, 2 Kings 25, I want you to see not only the north, but the south. God is turning the lights out. You remember a few years ago, well, the last person to leave Seattle, please turn the lights out. Well, here it is. Here it is. They're turning out the lights. God is turning out the lights. So chapter 25 then, we dealt with the north. Now you're coming to the south. In the ninth year of his reign, the tenth month, on the tenth day of the, of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem, laid siege to it. The old warfare, 
Just put the army around outside, set up camp, and stay there until you starve. We'll see you in a little while. That's what you do. You sit outside with your sharpening your spear and wait for them to run out of food. It was just dandy. The famine was so severe in the city there was no food. Verse 3. Verse 4. A breach made in the city. All the men of the war fled by night. Isn't that great? Brave men. Middle of the night, we're going to run for it. Leave the wife and kids. Sorry, guys. I've got to get out of here. Well, you read the rest of it. It didn't go well. Captain of the bodyguard, servant of the king of Babylon. Verse 8. Came to Jerusalem, burned the house of the Lord. King's house. All the houses. And you read what follows. Going into to the, the temple where God was worshipped, taking all the stuff, breaking up the, the, the altars and all these places that were used for the worship of God, taking it all away, break down the walls. Verse 21, Judah was taken into exile. The lights went out. Now, I have a, I have a little caveat here on my notes that I think is important for us to see. God judged Israel and Judah by allowing nations to fall, but be careful here. Just because something bad happens to a nation or a person, let's not immediately assume it's the judgment of God. Okay? Sometimes people do this. Sometimes maybe you do this. I know why that happened, and you don't. How do we know that this terrible event in history, how do we know that was the judgment of God? God tells us. That's how we know. If God didn't tell us, we wouldn't know. We'd be guessing. Sometimes bad things happen in nations, in the lives of people. And we would be wrong if we immediately said, yep, God's getting them. That's what the mistake was of Job's counselors. They believed that something happened, bad happened in somebody's life. Clearly, God was spanking them. And that's not always the case. In this case, very much so. Now, cross the page or on the other side. I want to comment on this next one and go to then to the New Testament. Jerusalem in Jesus' day. I'm just mentioning day of the Lord, day of the Lord, judgment moments. That's what I'm after today. I want you to get the full broadside. So in Jesus' day, again, I'm skipping massive parts of history. In Jesus' day, you remember Luke 19. This is a story of Jesus coming up to Jerusalem uh, as he's heading into the city where he's going to be crucified and die. And he, it's, it's what we call Palm Sunday, coming down the, 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 the descent of the Mount of Olives, crossing the Kidron Valley, up the other side to Jerusalem. And, and the, the crowds are worshiping him, so to speak, sort of. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus knows they don't get it. They hail him as a great teacher. They don't understand him as the son of God, the savior, the redeemer. And Jesus weeps at that moment. That's the the paragraph I gave you. Jesus weeps at that moment and says, if you only knew what day it was. If you only knew what day it was, your eyes are blinded. You don't see it. If you only knew what day it was, your Messiah is here and you don't see. Because of that, the armies are coming. And they did. within that generation, 40 years or so later, Roman armies under Titus, the general, came in and just wiped it out. Jesus weeps. He came to his own, John 1.11. He came to his own. His own received him not. There was judgment. There was a day of reckoning for this. Now, I, I want to read just a couple of other texts here. I want you to see the same theme of judgment and day of the Lord in New Testament literature. This is not just Old Testament stuff, Okay. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and I'm going to land then in 2 Peter. I just want to read these. I'm not going to say a lot about them. I'm not going to exegete them. I'm going to read them. So what I'm doing a lot of today is, is reading, letting the text speak for itself. So New Testament literature, the Apostle Paul. 
First Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the, what is it? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when people are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And he goes on from there. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's talking about a different day of the Lord than the Old Testament prophets. There was a day of the Lord there, and yet a future that I'm going to say still, a still coming day of the Lord. Oh, pay attention, people. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The inescapability is underscored by the terms that Paul uses in verse 3. No, they will not escape. Every language has its conventions, has its rules. You learned in eighth grade English. You know, don't use no double negatives. You probably got that. In Greek, they didn't get that message. You do use double negatives in Greek if you really want to make a point. And Paul does it here. They will not, no, they will not escape. Double negative. They w- there is no escape, no escape apart from God's provision in Christ. No, they will, there will be no escape. Exclamation point. Pounds the pulpit. That's verse 3. Second Thessalonians. Hear it again. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. You're supposed to pay attention. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to come from us, he says, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. We would call him the Antichrist. The text goes on to describe his work. In this case, the day of the Lord, not specifically Uh, speaking of what we would call the rapture of the church. The day of the Lord is talking about judgment yet to come, subsequent to that. Okay, so however you line out your eschatological scenarios, day of the Lord, final judgment, uh, as we'll see then described in my final text, 2 Peter 3, which is all about that. Okay, 2 Peter 3, and here will be the end of letting your fingers do the walking. through a big chunk of the Bible today. Second Peter 3, uh, day of the Lord's mentioned in verse 8, but I'm looking only at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Paul said it, Peter says it. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are in it will be undone or exposed or laid bare, depending on your translation. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Wow, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Let me say a couple of things. One of the things, you, one of the messages you're supposed to get from Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and on, what you're supposed to get is this: God hates sin. It is devastating and destructive. It is destructive to a nation and it is destructive to you. And if you think you can dabble around with all kinds of garbage and just stay there and never repent of it, you have another story coming. It is devastating in our lives. It bears bad fruit. You've heard my little analogy of people who play with little crocodiles in the bathtub feed them a little piece of hamburger, they grow. They grow. Before long, you got a six-footer in there, and your cat disappears. You know that, right? You play with these little things. It's cute. It's cuddly. It's warm. Nobody needs to know. I shut the door. Who knows I have a crocodile in the bathroom? Uh-huh. Right. No, you, if, if that's you, if that's you today, if there is unrepented of sin, I'm not talking about you being perfect. I'm talking about your heart that comes to Christ. And if there's stuff in your life that you're just sitting there comfortable with and saying, I dare God to deal with it. Uh, you, you, you know, he just may. 
on a day that you don't see coming. And then you'll say, oh, where'd that come from? Really? Wow. No, sin is devastating. Now, take a look at my response section, please. I just want to walk you through this. God's judgment on the nations, his righteous judgment against sin, anger, should sober me because I too am a sinner. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. It's supposed to make you pay attention. And I reference here the story in Isaiah 6, who as he saw God for who he truly is, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, majestic, and his response is, woe is me, for I am ruined. He says, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, my mouth is dirty. It reflects the dirty state of my own heart. I hang out with people just like me, and I am in deep trouble. I am in deep trouble. Woe is me, Isaiah says. He needs the cleansing that only God can provide. And as I note here, this drives us, people. Please get this. This drives us to the gospel of Jesus. Apart from understanding God's wrath against sin, the gospel doesn't doesn't come across as very good news. But once you see God's spanking of God's judgment of the nations, and to know, I deserve that. Then suddenly, the gospel begins to make sense. Jesus took that wrath that was coming for me. Jesus stood in front of that bus, and he took it for me. My sin was upon his shoulders. The, 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 The guilt that I bear before a holy God was placed on him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21 I reference here. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for me. That's what we're talking about, is this big truckload of God's judgment against sin. Jesus took it, the stuff that I deserved. And if, if, if you don't get that, then the story of Jesus is just like Christmas and Easter and doesn't make a lot of sense. If you don't think you're much of a sinner, you're not going to think much of Jesus. Only when you see the wrath of God against sin, and that's you, Then you begin to say, and Jesus died for me. My sin upon his shoulders, his righteousness covering me when I respond in faith. Oh, buddy, is that good news or what? God's wrath was placed upon him. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And therefore, Romans 8.1 is also true. How's that go? There is therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ. That's for whom? For those who are in Christ, no condemnation. Now I dread Jesus and all that is in him is mine. Wow. Suddenly the gospel is something we see as really good news.